Hi, and welcome to The Horn. I'm Alan Boswell. Today we have a bonus show we wanted to share with you from Crisis Group's weekly global podcast, Hold Your Fire. I know many of our listeners will be interested uh, in the stunning turn of events in the Tigray conflict, so enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Hold Your Fire, a podcast by the International Crisis Group. I'm Naz Modirzadeh. And I'm Richard Atwood. Earlier this week, rebels from Ethiopia's Tigray region captured regional capital, Mekele. It's a stunning turnaround in what's been a brutal war. Eight months ago, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed sent troops into Tigray. He promised a quick operation to oust the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or the TPLF. The TPLF had long dominated Ethiopian politics, but had fallen out with Abiy since he came to power in 2018. This is US envoy to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, talking about the war. We urge the Ethiopian government to support an immediate end to the fighting in Tigray. And to that end, the prompt withdrawal of Eritrean forces and Amhara regional forces from Tigray are essential steps. Fighting quickly sucked in others. Eritrean forces crossed the border, and Eritrean President Esaias Afwerki hoped to deal Tigray's leaders, with whom he had a long-running enmity, a crushing blow. Militias from Amhara, a region south of Tigray, seized territory they claimed was theirs. All sides have been accused of atrocities. The Eritrean scorched-earth tactics appear to have been particularly brutal. Millions have fled their homes, and nearly a million people face famine. Well, let's bring you some breaking news now out of Ethiopia's Tigray region. Rebel fighters from the Tigray People's Liberation Front have retaken control of Mekele. At the start of the war, Tigrayan forces, the Tigray Defense Forces, or TDF, had retreated to the countryside. They appeared on the back foot. But over the past few days, Ethiopian troops pulled out of Mekele and other towns in the region, and Tigrayan forces surged in. They were greeted by cheering and dancing crowds. Prime Minister Abiy quickly declared a unilateral ceasefire. We're going to talk to Will Davison, Crisis Group's Ethiopia expert, about what just happened and what might come next. Is the war over? What does the apparent rout of Ethiopian forces mean for Abiy? What does it mean for Eritrea? And what does it mean for another of Ethiopia's neighbours, Sudan, which has also been fighting Ethiopian forces in the Al Fashaga region along the Ethiopian border? Will, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, uh, Richard and Naz. So, well, could we start, I guess, with the, the big question, how did this happen? I, I recall our previous conversations, I've got to say, you've always been extremely prescient about how things would pan out in Tigray. And you've always said the Tigrayan resistance was, you know, very resilient. But even for you, this must have come as a bit of a surprise, right? Yes, that's right. Even for me, and also um, even for you know, some people very closely affiliated with the TPLF or the, or the TDF or Tigray's government, they were surprised at this sort of implosion of federal operation in Tigray or, or the federal withdrawal. I think more broadly, yes, there was that uh, predicted resilience that was built upon, obviously, the long history that those TPLF leaders have of um, of, of resistance in Tigray, including from rural areas. Also a belief that the positions held by you know, Tigray's former government, now returned government, um, were supported by many people in Tigray. And so it was the popular support for the leadership, um, even after they were removed from regional power, that made it look like a fairly resilient um, armed resistance. What I think has been more surprising, including for us, um, has been how quickly that um, armed resistance has not just consolidated control in rural areas with that popular support, but then has been able to launch 
counteroffensives. Now, that happened really in earnest only last week, primarily in central Tigray. Huge claims of, of battlefield victories, enemy losses, equipment captured, probably exaggerated, but there were large territorial gains um, by the Tigray defense forces. And I think that battlefield reversal for the Ethiopian federal military, um, the apparent withdrawal of Eritrea's military to northern areas of Tigray, um, and then combined with the increasing international pressure, that seems to have led to federal forces and indeed the federal interim administration giving up the game in Mekele um, as they suffered these these battlefield losses and to have just evacuated the region en masse um, very suddenly. Uh, so, well, just to clarify, it, it was mostly the Tigrayans' battlefield gains that changed calculations in Addis? I think predominantly, but also we should not discount the, you know, the international pressure, the, 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 po- the post-election context. Let's, let's say the Ethiopian government, Abiy's government, had decided that the international pressure was too much and there were serious threats uh, to international financing for Ethiopia's government, for example. And they had decided, therefore, to enact a ceasefire in Tigray, as they have done subsequent to withdrawing from Tigray. Well, it would have made a lot more sense to have done that whilst in control of Mekele um, and remaining in control of the major roads and other population centres in Tigray. Um, That would have been a much stronger position to have launched this so-called humanitarian ceasefire. Um, But I think it's the battlefield losses that mean that, yes, there has been some buckling to the international pressure. Um, also probably a realisation of, of that this war was essentially unwinnable, as, as we and others have been saying. But it is the battlefield losses that led to this you know, basically complete evacuation of the federal operation, military and, and civil for, from Tigray. So a combination, but I would, you know, like I say, the battlefield losses, I would say, are predominant. Maybe one more follow up, Will. How did the TDF, how did the Tigrayan forces do it? You know, as we said up top, They'd abandoned cities and towns quite early on in the war, but now, in essence, as a guerrilla force, they've just ousted not just the Ethiopian, but also the Eritrean army. Now, you talked about their popular support, but where do their weapons come from? You know, how much owes to their previous fighting experience? Yes, I think you know, things like the experience are, are, are a factor. Of course, you know, there was a level of preparation um, for uh, this type of conflict in Tigray. Uh, clearly, Tigray's leaders did not affect this sort of full frontal assault from the federal military, the Amhara region forces and Eritrea. They didn't expect the drone campaign. And that was why they suffered such quick reversals early in the war. But in terms of you know, the, the way that they have, have regrouped and consolidated and then expanded, well, yes, obviously there was a, an existing weapons supply there. And then I think it you was know, well, certainly the claims are um, that the rest of the you know, weaponry has been gathered along the way in, in battlefield victories. Whether there is an element of external support here is possible, um, maybe in terms of financing, uh, that there, there could be you know, things, important aspects we don't know about. There doesn't seem to have been any major supply line um, established to Sudan, which would be the obvious place um, for fuel and weapons to come in. So it does seem to be the, a case of, of, of establishing that, that rural base and reorganising their forces into something which had a, a presence um, across Tigray um, and was able, therefore, to mount hit and run attacks, capture some of those supplies, but also establish a sort of core force which was able to, by and large, uh, protect the leadership um, in, the, in, the, in the last few months. 
So both those elements seem to have been very successful. And yes, we know about the popular support. I think that's probably translated into you know, food, basic medical supplies. Um, it is notable to see comments from the prime minister, the most recent ones, talking about how, in the end, the, the Ethiopian military faced a popular insurgency. Um, you know, they're talking about being attacked by villagers and this type of thing. So, you know, re really, we should not underestimate that level of, of popular support here. This hasn't been a sort of steady increase in the, the power and the control of the, of the TDF in Tigray. Instead, we have seen you know, a very rapid shift in the last week. So the TDF showed it was able to launch a counteroffensive. Um, and that seems to have sort of maybe expedited a, a shift in, in approach from the federal government. Will, can you tell us a bit more about this drone campaign? I can tell you some things about it, um, but there is lots that is not known. It was active um, in November and December, primarily. It was both um, surveillance and armed drones. It was highly successful, as acknowledged by the Tigray uh, Defence Forces leadership. It took out uh, much of the heavy weaponry. Um, that Tigray's government and defecting Tigrayan federal officers commandeered from the federal military at the outset of the war. Um, so the drone campaign was successful at, at neutralizing much of that recently acquired Tigrayan weaponry. It also took out a lot of the vehicles um, that the Tigrayan leadership had. Um, so you know, that's something to note. This has been a largely sort of non-motorized um, resistance over recent months. Um, the Prime Minister, um, in his sort of victory speech, um, December the 1st, if I recall correctly, he said that the drone capacity in the Ethiopian military had been built up covertly, um, so that certainly the TPLF leadership um, was not aware um, what was about to hit them. There has been informed speculation that the drones may have been flown from Asab base uh, in Eritrea, where the United Arab Emirates has had a military operation primarily to launch raids into Yemen, but this is not confirmed. And yes, I think in terms of you know, further details, you know, where did the drones, where were they purchased or who operated them? Um, unfortunately, yeah, just cannot be anything like authoritative about, about those details. The other thing to note, of course, sorry, is that the drone campaign um, very much dropped off this year. There has been, there was, there was constant reports um, from Tigrayans about the presence of drones. November and December, the acknowledgement from the Tigrayan leaders how effective they had been. Uh, but we've heard very, very little. So it seems the drone campaign dropped off this year. We might note that that pretty much coincided with the um, Emirati pullout from, from Aseb, but we shouldn't draw too, too strong a connection there, obviously. Fascinating. And tell us, where do things stand now? What is the balance of forces looking like across the region today? Across Tigray now, we have the Tigray uh, Defence Forces. That's the force you know, pretty much loyal to the removed TPLF government. They are now re-establishing their presence, not just in Mekele, the regional capital, the centre of the regional government, but also in major towns across Tigray. What we also have is um, very significant disruptions to basic services at the moment. Telecommunications are down across all of the region, I believe, there has been a you know, major power cut in Mekele. Uh, you may have seen the reports um, that Ethiopian federal soldiers uh, looted UN satellite internet equipment on their way out. And there are reports from humanitarians that, uh, well, there are certainly fears um, of a blockade upon Tigray, where there will be you know, perhaps some access you know, to tightly controlled 
aid convoys, but otherwise there will be essentially a blockade in terms of trade and, and potentially disruptions um, to basic services in Tigray. And we should add you know, financial services banks to that as well, which were reportedly looted um, as the federal military and the interim administration fled Mekele. Um, so there is a concern here that whilst the federal government has announced a uh, humanitarian ceasefire um, after withdrawing from Tigray, um, it looks like they are also taking measures to um, make it very hard um, for the sort of returned leadership in Mekele to govern Tigray effectively um, and also hard um, to get um, to get goods and, and personnel um, into Tigray. Now that is hugely significant. That could um, really hamper the humanitarian operation. Um, and it is a humanitarian emergency uh, with the US State Department saying there are now 900,000 people um, experiencing famine conditions in Tigray. So I think this is a, you know, a, a crit critical aspect to look at. Um, maybe finally, just to to note the way the federal government is articulating this situation is that it has been a strategic political withdrawal from Tigray. Um, they faced popular resistance. Um, they have achieved their main military objectives, sort of you know, capturing back the, the weapons they said were taken from them, um, ensuring that Tigray was not a threat to national security, sort of they cut the TPLF down to size. Uh, and they say they can go back into Mekele anytime within three weeks and they will hit back hard um, if there is any problems. So obviously the extent to which this is a face-saving narrative and bravado um, can be argued about, but I think it's important to note um, that is the federal explanation of events. Well, let's come back to the blockade in a moment, but could you just talk a little bit about some of the other forces that have been in Tigray, as we said up top, you know, Eritreans came in, they've been apparently responsible for some of the worst abuses, but Eritrean forces seem to have retreated towards the Eritrean border. And then you got the Amhara militias that took areas along with federal forces that they claim are Amhara in western Tigray. I mean, what, what is likely to happen both in those areas and, uh, you know, what do you see as a future of the Eritrean forces in, in Tigray? As I think the, uh, the TDF, I guess, just sort of gradually strengthened um, over the last few weeks, there has been an Eritrean pullback from areas of southern and central Tigray, where it had been really the sort of active, competent contingent there to try and obviously deal a, a decisive blow against the TDF. Now, they have moved back to a sort of an east-west line sort of strung along you know, Adi Gratz, a sort of Shire along the, the main road there in northern Tigray, there's a string of, of major towns. So beginning to uh, reposition them themselves, you can imagine there's a lot of uh, uncertainty about not just what's going to happen, but what is happening. I think it would be quite likely that they will pull back to the Eritrean understanding of the international border. Um, also, um, to a large degree, the you know, United Nations Boundary Commission understanding of the international border as, as established after the, the end of the Eritrea-Ethiopia war in 2000. But that will obviously be key. Um, I think if they remain you know, well inside Ethiopian territory and Tigrayan territory, that will lead to further confrontations. Also, you know, ma major issues relating to that Amhara presence now, what we've had as the TDF has consolidated its insurgency, we've had Amhara regional state consolidate its administrative control um, of a large portion of, of Western Tigray and a smaller portion of Southern Tigray. Uh, they simply say that that 
is Amhara land. It should never have been included in Tigray in the 1990s. And the TPLF annexed it from Amhara and um, you know, kicked out ethnic Amhara from the area. And it's a matter of, of justice that they have reversed that process. Obviously, um, the question now becomes, what does the TDF um, do about it? Their essential, you know, basic goal here or initial goal is to, as they see it, rid Tigray um, of the invaders. Now, that definitely includes Amhara administrators uh, and, and also security forces um, who are, and militia who are buttressing that Amhara control of Western Tigray. So there's almost no doubt that the TDF will push ahead in, in achieving that objective of making sure that, as they see it, all of Tigray is under Tigray and Tigray government administration. The question is, when do they try and do that? There is a, something of a political logic to, um, to trying to remove the Amhara quickly if the TDF goal is to pile on the pressure on Abiy, because there will be considerable Amhara anger directed at Abiy um, if his federal actions are seen to have undermined that Amhara control of Western Tigray. I think obviously from, from our perspective, uh, well, from the humanitarian perspective, I think people would like to see everybody prioritise the humanitarian situation here rather than open up new fronts. But we will have to wait and see what, what transpires. There is already talk of, of TDF activity towards the West, uh, towns like Sharado and Humera. Um, but there isn't you know, definitive reports of the TDF taking back some of those areas that are administered by Amhara regional state. And we'll, we'll, again, we'll come in a moment to sort of the ceasefire and the imperative of getting aid in. But if you were to look at one big danger now of escalation, now that the TDF have taken control of all these towns, presumably it is in Western Tigray. I mean, that's the, 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 the temptation now is going to be for Tigrayan forces to go and retake those areas that have been taken by the Amhara, as you say, pressure Abbey and uh, sort of get closer to the Sudanese border. That's absolutely right, Richard. I think that's that's the direction to look in. Of course, um, there is the talk of, of the TDF uh, pursuing Eritrean forces into Eritrea, but I, I would have thought that that would be is a, is a secondary concern at, at the moment. But yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of this would depend on what state the Ethiopian federal military is in, for example. The Ethiopian federal military has obviously had a large presence on the disputed border area with Sudan, Al-Fashiga, just across, just adjacent to Tigray. They've also been essentially providing key uh, security presence in, in Western Tigray as well, even if the Amhara are there at the local level. So yes, a question of you know what type of um, support um, for the Amhara control can the federal military and the federal government provide at this point? Um, if we believe their narrative, they would say that, you know, this has just been a strategic withdrawal. We're still in, in control. Others would see the TDF very much in the ascendancy and the Ethiopian federal military has suffered huge losses and to be sort of increasingly chucking very rural recruits into battle in quite a desperate fashion. Now, if they are in that level of disarray, um, I think that opens up the question of how vulnerable that Amhara control is. Um, but certainly this is um, yep, certainly an area of, of potential conflict and instability. Um, with regards to Sudan, part of the federal approach here is to ensure that um, you know, the Tigray forces um, cannot, you know, cannot expand further and, and cause any further threats. And so there is a, still a, a key objective to prevent um, the TDF uh, opening up a supply line to Sudan. And obviously, given the ongoing tensions over the Renaissance Dam, 
uh, over the Al-Fashika dispute and a general deterioration of bilateral relations as concerns about what level of, of Sudanese support there could be for the TDF. If that occurred, um, really that could blow things up in a fairly terrible way because I think you know any sort of explicit um, Sudanese support, if that was uh, perceived in, in, in Addis, then that really could uh, escalate those tensions between Sudan and Ethiopia. Will, can you tell us a bit more about how you understand this ceasefire declaration? So what happened was that the interim administrator, uh, an ally, a Tigrayan ally of the prime minister, he was back in Addis having sort of, I guess, fled Mekele over the weekend. And he sort of offered a ceasefire to Abiy while in Addis and Abiy sort of accepted it. So that, you know, is not a particularly meaningful process because the interim authority that this guy, Abraham Belay, led no longer had any authority in Tigray at that point. But I think, you know, it has achieved um, some success. It's been welcomed by you know, some European governments, the French government, uh, British government. You know, it's, it's what people have been calling for. I think, you know, the, the broader narrative that the federal government is, has been trying to present is something which will have convinced um, a domestic audience um, to, to, to some degree. I mean, the, the issue really is what is the approach of the Tigray Defence Forces? Are they going to go after the Eritreans? Are the Eritreans going to go after them? Um, are they going to try and um, end this Amhara control and bring all of Tigray, um, as many Tigrayans see it, under back under Tigrayan administration? That Those are the factors um, which are going to decide whether there is a sort of a ceasefire here or you know any, any form of pause in fighting. And to that, I think we should add... Um, if there is a TDF belief that what the federal government here has done is withdraw from Tigray, then encircle uh, Tigray uh, and blockade Tigray and take action to disrupt basic services uh, in Tigray to try and make it ungovernable. Well, I mentioned that's not going to go down well with the US and other members of the international community. That also is not going to go down well um, with Tigray's leaders, especially given that we think there is almost a million people um, now you know, suffering famine conditions. And Will, in your view, is a blockade likely? And what would that look like if it did take place? I think it's something that we should all take seriously. Um, and you know, as we should go back to um, the, the, the beginning of the, the, the run up to the war here and, and our October the 30th publication, just days before the federal intervention, we then had, you know, the, the federal and regional government at loggerheads and, and the federal government essentially saying, well, this we're not going to do business with this dissident regional leadership. Um, we're going to enact, we're going to use the powers that the federal government has within this system. Um, so fiscal measures, you know, to redirect budget transfers um, away from the regional leadership. Um, and also there was the fact that the federal government um, and authorities in Addis have power to control uh, telecommunications uh, the electricity grid, um, the banking network, aid programs. You know, there are all these levers of federal power. Um, and it was clear that they were going to use them to weaken Tigray um, in, in the run-up to the war. And then, of course, things uh, escalated very, very rapidly and, and, and war broke out. We're kind of back to an October scenario now, um, except we have a devastated Tigray um, and a humanitarian emergency with, with famine conditions already afflicting well, you know, hundreds of thousands of people at, at least. So there is serious talk of this, um, that the responsibility for humanitarian relief is now Tigray governments and the international communities, um, and it is not the federal government's responsibility to assist this, you know, this, this, this still rogue regional leadership. 
So very serious concerns as well. And so, Will, I mean, presumably now what everyone should be focused on is trying to get aid in to these areas that, as you talked about, I mean, there's, there's UN and others warning of, uh, of, of people in famine conditions, you know, really dire humanitarian situation. And previously, it's been difficult to access those areas because of roadblocks by the Eritreans, roadblocks by the Ethiopian forces, not wanting to let aid in into areas controlled by the Tigrayans. So now, presumably, what everyone should be doing is pressuring uh, Addis to to let aid in and I assume particularly um, allow the sort of planting season to, to happen so that there's not an even bigger food crisis you know, down the road. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's the correct focus for everyone. All actors should be should be urged to, to prioritise this. And there's a, there's a few things that need to happen. Uh, the aid needs to get in. There can't be you know pipeline interruptions, as the humanitarians like to call it. Um, it can't be an excuse um, from the federal government to say, oh well, you know some um, you know some some informal groups in Amhara are, are blocking convoys. Um, you know that is a federal matter. They need to reopen uh, the airspace. Um, the federal government needs to do all it can. Um, to get telecommunications, electricity networks, you know, water, if there's been any disruptions there, banking um, up and running, because these are all vital components of an, an operation to stave off the onset of, of famine here. Um, the federal government also still has a responsibility to ensure that uh, the Eritrean military withdraws from Ethiopian soil, um, although obviously it's sort of disputed where Ethiopian soil ends. Um, and Eritrea begins, but that needs to happen because otherwise areas in northern Tigray will face the same problems that areas controlled by the Eritrean military, um, or at least you know, where, where access has been restricted by the Eritrean military, they will face the same problems. They've, other areas have suffered during the, the war. Um, as we've mentioned, the Tigray Defence Forces, the TPLF, the Tigray leadership, they need to prioritise the humanitarian um, situation here. Uh, they are now, we understand, um, of you know, large areas of central Tigray where some of the most um, hardest hit areas are. Um, so they need to work on getting aid into those areas. Really, that should be prioritized above above and beyond opening up a new a new front in, 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 in Western Tigray. Well, can you tell us broadly your sense of what these developments over the past week mean for Abi and for his reputation in the country outside of Tigray region? It's a tricky one um, at the moment. Um, it looks like this has occurred and you know, by no means Unrelated, we think um, in, in light of a fairly thumping election victory for Abiy's Prosperity Party. Yes, the election was greatly troubled. It didn't happen in a fifth of constituencies. But you know, in the 400 or so constituencies that it did occur, Prosperity Party seems to have done well, although we're waiting for comprehensive provisional results from the electoral board. Now, there has been some reversals in, in Amhara, urban areas in Amhara, but, but basically... Um, Abby is in a relatively strong position. I think you know what we have to wait and see is you know, what is the um, the elite and then the popular um, reaction to this federal withdrawal from Tigray. I think the federal government has done a reasonable job at trying to sell this, um, at trying to kind of save face and create a new narrative. But you know it's very questionable about how many people will buy into that. Um, this is a very significant defeat. Um, and so I think it will be important for the Prime Minister's um, popularity and authority to see you know, what the reaction to this is. The other major issue relates to that Amhara question. So let's say hypothetically um, that the Tigray Defence Forces did immediately try and clear Tigray of invading forces as they see it, and that they were relatively successful in doing so. 
Um, that would lead to a lot of Amhara anger directed at, at Abiy and and at the federal government. Um, obviously, the Amhara, a large part of his his kind of ruling, you know, his coalition, you know, um, that could also be a major problem for for Abiy. Uh, and then also we have to see the knock on effects of um, what's going on in Tigray in terms of you know, just how weak is the federal military now. Um, where does it leave Ethiopia in terms of dealing with this dispute with Sudan? Could it embolden the Oromo Liberation Army, you know, that Oromo nationalist insurgency that's growing strength, particularly in Western Oromia? Um, so there's all sorts of um, there's also all sorts of potentially problematic ramifications here. But you know, worth noting that the prime minister is coming off the back of this election victory and he's scrabbling hard to save face and, and and not give the impression they have completely lost control in Tigray. And well, if you think of sort of relations now between uh, Addis Ababa and particularly between uh, Abiy's government and Tigray, are they kind of repairable? The Tigrayan leaders themselves did a lot of provocative stuff over the past few years, but Abiy has not only deployed federal forces into Tigray, he's also invited in the Eritreans who seem to, you know, pretty much have run amok for months. Lots of reports of massacres, rapes and other, other atrocities. Is reconciliation between Tigray and the rest of the country, you know, is that is that even kind of imaginable at the moment? Not not really, not not yet. But you know, at the same time, we have to, you know, we should note how, how dynamic, how volatile things are. Um, these, these are very significant developments. Um, we're clearly, we're going to see more major developments. Um, but at the moment, the political reconciliation doesn't really seem to be imminent here. I think, you know, it's also worth recalling, Richard, that um, you know, as, as you know, at the outset of the of the war, you know, the federal government had had decided its course here to remove the, the TPLF government regional power and, and bring leaders to justice. Well, you know, that's um, remained very much in place. And then, and then recently, we've seen in May, we've seen the federal parliament designate the TPLF as a terrorist organization. So, you know, it's it's very hard to, you know, because of those sorts of dynamics, it's very hard to imagine reconciliation. And then if we have this sort of these dynamics of the, the potential blockade with the TDF trying to capitalize on its recent gains, you know, that's clearly going to maintain or, or increase the animosity. A renewed attempt to blockade Tigray uh, would undoubtedly you know, increase Tigrayan anger towards um, Abiy's government, increase secessionist sentiment in, in Tigray and take us further and further away from political reconciliation. Now, obviously, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be too negative here, but I think these are important realities. And until, you know, we've seen some final acknowledgement, belated acknowledgement that there was a lot of popular support in Tigray um, for that, you know, TPLF leadership and their core positions. Um, but really, you know, we need to see from the federal government an acknowledgement that um, there needs to be a process of accommodation here. Um, you know, all sides need to walk back um, some of their positions, but I think it starts with the federal government. Whilst you know the TPLF is classified as a terrorist organisation, but the Tigrayan people, by and large, support the TPLF, and you have the Tigray Defence Forces, you know, fighting for the rights of the TPLF government. There's huge obstacles to you know to, to anything but the divisions increasing here. So we really need to see a shift in attitude, a reset, and going back to you know, peaceful political processes to try and address the fundamental disputes that, that got us to where we are. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Will. Okay, thank you very much. So, Richard.
Richard, I think it's fair to say these developments came as a surprise to everyone, including people in Ethiopia. What do you make of this stunning turn of events? Yeah, you know, it's 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 really a turnaround. And I have to say again that Will and our Horn of Africa team have generally been sort of spot on in pointing out the likely direction the conflict's gonna take. But you know, as as Will himself said at the beginning, it would have been difficult to predict such a sharp reversal of fortunes in, in such a short, short time. Sort of reflecting back a bit, it's been, and I think like many divisive wars, it's been a, a hard one to cover. When Abbey first came to power in 2018, Crisis Group's work sort of reflected much of the optimism that he brought in the country, in the region. We were very supportive of the transition that he was leading, supportive of the sort of the sort of centre ground that he seemed to be trading among Ethiopia's different and often competing constituencies. But we also warned early on of some of the problems brewing, sort of the mounting ethno-nationalism, particularly these tensions that Abiy had with the TPLF. You know, Abiy saw TPLF leaders as, as obstructing the transition, the Tigrayans felt targeted and marginalised by him. And back then, you know, I think the government and people around Abiy were fairly open to, to hearing ideas like that. You know, when the war broke out, Will and his team were also very quick to point out that the Tigrayans wouldn't go quietly, that the quick law enforcement operation Abiy promised wasn't going to work, it was going to run aground on entrenched Tigrayan resistance, and that the presence of Eritreans and, you know, and subsequently their sort of atrocious behaviour and the presence of the Amhara militias was only going to stoke up Tigrayan anger. And this was a message that, you know, however constructively put, that top Ethiopian officials haven't really wanted to hear at all. It's been very difficult, I think, to talk to them about it. And I really hope now that this, you know, this is going to be time for a rethink in Addis. I think, sadly, the odds are, are quite small for the reasons we'll talked about. But it's hard to see how Ethiopia avoids much worse without a more conciliatory approach. Now, the flip side, of course, is is what are the Tigrayans going to do? And ideally, they would now show some restraint, especially in those Amhara-held areas of Western Tigray. You know, I think it's important to note that both Tigrayans and the Amhara have claims on those areas. But, you know, I can see that's going to be a that, that's going to be a tough sell. Absolutely. Richard, I think I was struck in Will's comments just by the sheer number of people whose whose fates, whose survival in the next months hangs in the balance here and, and in the kinds of decisions that are made by the various actors in the region, the million plus people who are on the brink of or have slipped into famine conditions and face potentially profound food insecurity, the question of humanitarian access, and of course, the question of uh, people regaining access to their to their homes and to their day to day lives. So uh, I think not just a stunning uh, series of events and and in some ways potentially a pretty striking military uh, victory by the rebels in the past week, but also I think in the coming weeks, an incredibly high stakes situation for the people living uh, through this. Yeah, that's really well put. And maybe just to add to that, you know, it's really now an imperative for all sides and all international actors. I think the Security Council is meeting on Friday that everyone pushes now to get this urgent humanitarian aid through to stave off famine, improve conditions in Tigray and make sure people can plant. So definitely that means no blockade. And ideally, again, it would mean that Tigrayan leaders focus on getting aid in and not on, uh, on fresh operations. 
Hold Your Fire is a production of the International Crisis Group. I'm Naz Modirzadeh. And I'm Richard Atwood. You can find more of our work on our website, crisisgroup.org, or follow us on Twitter, at Crisis Group. You can also check out another of our podcasts, The Horn. It's hosted by Alan Boswell. It's every couple of weeks. It's an in-depth look at Horn geopolitics. Thank you very much to our producers, Maeve Francis and Ida Holly Namby. And thank you especially to our listeners. If you like the show, please do leave us a question, a comment, a rating or a review. Tell your friends about us and we'll hope you join us again next week.